you know, you have your, your learning years and then you have your earning years and then you have your yearning years. Basically talking about the different phases of life. Don't be in a hurry to get to your earning years. Do the things now that you have the opportunity to do because there's not a lot of pressure to make a lot of money. There is gonna come a point in time where you look backwards in your yearning years and say, why did I rush this? Why did I rush that? And you know, that's one of the beautiful things about being here is um, Coach View and our whole staff and our whole school really is, it's so connected to what what is here in the moment and what is like what are the things you don't want to make a mistake of just rushing past you know what what's the good stuff what's the gold but then also just the the quality of the impact that we have on the whole person and how how important and powerful that is that far outweighs any wins and losses what's up everybody welcome to the pursuit a journey in the life of sports I'm your host, Chris Mongilia, Director of Men's Basketball Operations at Princeton University. This podcast is all about exploring the intellectual approach to maximizing your ability. We talk with accomplished professionals in the sports industry and learn what has allowed them to be able to succeed on their journey in the life of sports. The goal here is for listeners to collect as many high-performance habits and behaviors as possible, and then be able to adopt and apply them into their own lives and careers. On this episode, Travis Knight, the strength and conditioning coach for Gonzaga University men's basketball, shares how authenticity, creativity, and lateral thinking have all been keys to his success as a coach. He explains how the foundation or approach one person set for him early in his journey has guided his perspective, which he later aligned with in the culture at Gonzaga. Throughout the conversation, it is clear that Travis values thinking outside the box, values his beliefs, and values the relationships that he has with others. I cannot wait to share this truly thoughtful conversation with you all. Our guest today is Travis Knight, the strength and conditioning coach for Gonzaga University men's basketball. Coming off a 31-2 and two season last year, they returned multiple key pieces along with an incoming top 15 recruiting class. The Bulldogs are currently ranked number one in multiple preseason top 25 polls and have now established themselves as a program that continues to be in the national championship conversation year after year. Within the last decade, Gonzaga has had six 30-win seasons and now have multiple players on NBA rosters. Included in that group are Rui Hachimura and Brandon Clark, who were recently named to the first and second NBA All-Rookie team earlier this month. Unlike our previous guests, Travis and I do not go way back or have a long-standing relationship. So like the rest of you, I am looking forward to hearing and learning more about his story here in a moment. Travis's appearance on this show is basically networking 101. We met through a mutual friend, Brett Ledbetter, who is the co-founder of What Drives Winning. If you are not familiar with that platform, What Drives Winning, hit pause right now, Google it, look it up on Twitter. Whatever your engine is for vetting information these days, do that now. I highly recommend getting yourself involved. Anyways, Travis and I had the opportunity to connect in person back in 2019 at a conference in St. Louis. We were able to share ideas with each other. And recently, he has started a podcast of his own that he co-hosts, which uh, we'll talk about later in this episode. So, I don't want to ramble too much. Let's get right into it. Travis, welcome, and thanks for taking the time for this conversation. 
Hey, you bet, Chris. I, uh, it's like nice to see somebody else who's struggling along with the early stages of a, of a pod. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You started yours back in August. Mine was in, and maybe like two weeks earlier than yours. So, uh, yeah. we're going through it together. Yeah. They're basically twins. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, you know, give us a, give myself and the listeners some background on your journey. Maybe, uh, start back in college, go from there. Uh, yeah. One of the things that makes this job so special and incredible for me is just the, the personal aspect that I went to school here. <clears throat> I played baseball here. I was a PE major. And so, um, other than my graduate work, it's really all I've ever known. And, uh, when we talk about family around here, uh, it's crazy because you, you go back through the years when I was here and now we've got probably eight to 10 people in our athletic department who were colleagues who were classmates at the time. And, and that's pretty cool. So, um, you know, I was a PE major because I was interested in staying in sports. Like probably 90% of, of us were just trying to find a way to stick in the game. And, um, and I just, I loved all the things about PE that were playful and creative and, um, and I remember in undergrad that my favorite class I took was creative writing. So it definitely was not going to be a, uh, your stereotypical track to a strength coach. It was more of a roundabout way. So, um, my wife and I got married while I was in my fifth year, the summer before my fifth year. So I had the, one of those experiences of having to grow up really fast, having to get a day job. I couldn't intern my way around for a bunch of years. So I started out as a personal trainer and, um, you know, that was a lot of just building relationships and a lot of figuring out what was going to work for each person. And there was a lot of pressure to sell and, uh, hit your numbers, um, which really surprised me. I didn't know that was really part of the job, a big part of the job. Mm -hmm. And I was able to, to be really successful in a short period of time, just based on people wanting to continue and word of mouth. Um, so it wasn't by, because of my sales skills, it was just because, what I was doing was working. So I think a lot of those things played into it. We moved back, uh, after our, our first son was born, we moved back to Kansas. My, that, my wife's from Wichita and, um, really didn't have a plan. Just knew she really wanted to be near her family and I was ready for a change of scenery. Um, and going from, uh, the Northwest to Wichita, Kansas is definitely a change of scenery. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, and so, you know, at that point kind of began to, to uh, meet some of her network and ended up coaching baseball as an assistant at a high school, small private high school. And they wanted to start something like a strength and conditioning program at that high school. And I had no experience with it. I had only played in, in college and I had only done personal training, but I was like, sure. And uh, I mean, I just, I just knew right then, this is what I'm, this is what I want to be doing. And uh, what's interesting is that when we first moved there, we were considering going on staff with a, uh, with a campus ministry, basically a, a religious organization that had a presence on college campuses where uh, you could sit with kids and build relationships with them and help them in their faith. And that was what I thought we were going to end up doing before all this. And then when I found this, I was like, no, this is, this is it. And come full circle you know, that was over 20, 25 years ago. What I do is actually closer to what the faith-based 
relationship building organization was trying to do than a traditional strength and conditioning coach, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. So we, we, after three years, uh, going to Wichita state for uh, grad school and getting an exercise science degree, uh, masters there and working at Kansas state in their weight room, moved back to this area again, nothing promised, nothing for sure. And, uh, and it just, it worked out that uh, when I got back, one of my colleagues I was telling you about, he, uh, he was the strength coach for all 300 plus athletes and men's basketball needed their own guy. And so the funny thing is, is the way that Mike, who's the, now the women's strength coach mm -hmm. way we know each other is because our freshman year together, um, it was a couple months into the year and I needed a haircut desperately. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a guy who was hustling in his room, cutting hair for five, 10 bucks ahead. And, uh, and he used to cut my hair. And so amazing. <laughs> when, when you talk about the networking circles, it's not like we were best buds, but it was like when we got back into town and we kind of shared our stories, he's like, you know what, this is, this is great timing. This is what we need. You're, you're the, you're a great guy for that fit. And that was, you know, 2006. So mm -hmm. the rest is kind of history. Did you, Travis, did you get your exercise science degree because you wanted to become a strength coach or did you do that? Like, did you find that at the same time? No, I, you know, I, I met with our current athletic director um, before I started my graduate program to just see where should I go and what should I be studying? Because I would just look online to see what everybody else had and say, well, you know, I at least probably need to be as qualified as them. Mm -hmm. And so when I met with him, I, I, I thought maybe I should just GA here since I didn't have a strength coach at the time. And then that GA could turn into a full-time position, basically like, let me work for free. Let me show you what I can do. Right. You know, that type of model. And he said, he said, no, I don't, I don't think that's the best plan. I think you need to go and be trained to be the best strength and conditioning coach that you can possibly be anywhere. And then if the opportunity arises, we'd love to have you back here. So it was kind of like, Hey, I'm not going to promise anything. Um, so make a contingency based on not being here, but if we can bring it back, we'll do it. So, so how being the baseball coach and starting that strength stuff in Wichita, Kansas, how did that opportunity help you? Um, I guess to start the foundation for the strength coach that you are now, like, what were you, what were you doing? Take yourself back to Wichita, Kansas. What was going on there in that guided uh, practice? Well, what I've, what I've come to learn about myself is that creativity is really important uh, for, for my enjoyment of my process. And that at the time, I remember there was a couple pieces of equipment that we were able to get from somebody's basement that were the only traditional pieces that were in that uh, area. And it was basically like an open mezzanine level viewing area above a basketball court. And so leading the camps, you know, going to uh, Les Schwab and getting giant chuck tires and, mm -hmm. you, you know, figuring out going to Lowe's with a hundred dollars and seeing how much stuff that I saw in magazines could I actually make with bungee cords. And, and just for anybody listening, it, it's a terrible idea to attach humans to bungee cords that have 
no uh, guarantees and no, there's some really bad stories, but you got to learn the hard way though. What I loved. Yeah. I just, I loved being resourceful. I loved trying to figure out um, I need to be able to do something that other people with more resources, it's a no brainer for them. For me, I've got to figure it out and get to get the same result, but in a way that fits my resources. And, and it was just so much fun. And then the kids just loved it. And, um, the only thing that I knew coming out of that, that, that I wanted to change was just, I wanted to work with a higher level, but I didn't want to change the experience. I still wanted it to have that purity of creativity and, um, and enjoyment on the part of the kids. Like it was just fun. It it literally felt like PE. Mm -hmm. So when you got, when you had, when you were put like thrown into that, that situation, was there someone that you had looked up to almost like as an ignition point in strength and conditioning? Or did you just get put in there and say like, this is what I love regardless of what anyone else is doing. This is what I want to be and what I want to do with my life. Yeah, there was definitely a personal conviction that this was my path. Um, and there was just, I've had a lot of things in my life that I would say I'm self-taught. And this was one of those things. I, I learned way more just through my own research and my own experimentation than I ever did from any course or any uh, class that I took or certification. Um, so, you know, I didn't have a mentor in this area. Um, I was able to, to work at Kansas State uh, under Rod Cole, who moved on to Texas A&M afterwards. Um, and he was a great guy. And I mean, I certainly learned a lot in a short period of time just because it was, it was like basically um, – being an observer of a system that was really well run and um, and it wasn't the way I wanted to run it, but that took me years to figure out what that needed to look like. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I was, I was kind of just flying solo, you know, trying to, trying to hustle. (laughs) You know, I remember in graduate school because at that time we had, well, by the time we left, we had two kids and and she was pregnant with number three because we have five now. Okay. You got a starting five there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're not, most of them are not that inclined to sports. So (laughs) starting five in something. uh, But you know, at one point I think I counted, I was working seven jobs. Wow. And I mean, painting houses until it got too hot and then, you know, personal training and coaching and doing baseball lessons and working at the mall. And I mean, it was just whatever it took. Um, But when the passion is there and the, and the, the conviction that this is, this is the direction. I'm not aimless. Um, it's amazing when you're young, right? You're still a young guy. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of, sort of getting older. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's really interesting. So when I say this, who's the first person that pops into your head? The most influential person in your life has been blank. Who would you say? Hmm. Can I get back to you next week on that one? (laughs) (laughs) First one, first one. I'll give you a chance to touch on others so you don't feel anyone's left out. First one, who thought, who popped in your head? There's, I mean, there's, there's a couple people who pop into my head. There's coach and there's Brett Ledbetter and um, there's a pastor at our church. We get together every Sunday afternoon. Um, my wife and I and his wife and, and another friend of ours and, and uh, we call it nightcaps. We sit around the fire and we just 
talk about what's going on this week, you know, and mm-hmm. pretty high level conversations most times. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there's a guy who really took me under his wing when we were in Kansas named Dave Martin. And uh, he was the head coach of that high school baseball team that I was telling you about earlier. And he, he kind of saw me coaching a bunch of sixth graders and said like, Hey, I think this guy would be great to have uh, working alongside me. And he kind of helped me cultivate that strength and conditioning program there. But largely, you know, he's a guy who had built several businesses from the ground up and sold them. And so he knew a lot about leadership. He knew a lot about um, just the, what, what would lead to success, obviously hard work. And, and he wanted to, he wanted to convey those things to these kids that he was working with. That's the main reason he did love baseball, but he, he really loved impacting others. And um, I think I learned so much from him. I remember one thing that he said, um, as he said, you know, you have your, your learning years and then you have your earning years and then you have your yearning years and basically talking about the different phases of life. And he said, don't be in a hurry to get to your earning years and, um, you know, do the things now that you have the opportunity to do because there's not a lot of pressure to make a lot of money again, I was working seven jobs, so I wasn't exactly, (laughs) wasn't exactly feeling him on that, but, but it really is like, there is going to come a point in time where you look backwards in your yearning years and say, why did I rush this? Why did I rush that? Mm -hmm. And you know, that's one of the beautiful things about being here is um, coach few and our whole staff and our whole school really is, it's so connected to what, what is here in the moment and what is, um, like, what are the things you don't want to make the mistake of just rushing past? You know, what, what's the good stuff? What's the gold? And, mm-hmm. you know, so much of that for us is looking out our window at, at what we have available to us in nature. And, but then also just the, the quality of the impact that we have on the whole person and how, how important and powerful that is that far outweighs any wins and losses. And, uh, I mean, they don't just say it, it, it's real. And so I think that's for, for me, um, you know, Dave was that guy who understood the balance between pushing and, and, and accomplishing and succeeding, but not blowing by the things that matter, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. That's really interesting to hear because the more and the more I do this podcast and talk to people like yourself, I'm finding out that there's usually someone early on in that learning stage that you were talking about that impacts someone as Dave did for you and exposed to you how important that stuff was. And then when you're able to find that at Gonzaga, you're like, this is what he was talking about. And then almost it puts you, you know, you get roots into that because you're so bought into how Dave impacted you early on in your career, which is really, really interesting for me to hear. But, um, Talk about Coach Few and Brett and and the pastor and how influential those people may have been. Just touch upon each one real quick, if you don't mind. Uh, you know, I mean, Coach has been really impactful to me because he's he's obviously everybody knows what an accomplished coach he is and, and how good he is at that side of things. I think he taught me he he has taught me a lot about uh, myself in 
giving me a very different personality to push back against over the last 15 years. And we have, we're very different. I sit back, I observe, I think, um, but I'm not, I'm not heavily action oriented and he is very action oriented. So, Hey, it's not about what you say. It's about what you do. And, um, and he pushes, he's, he's oftentimes will kind of be a devil's advocate. He'll, you know, he'll push you one way by saying he doesn't agree with this or like this. And then later on he might say the opposite. And, uh, so for somebody, for, for me, I had to get comfortable in my own skin first because otherwise it's like being a ship in the ocean. You just get tossed around by being reactionary to everything. And, and mm-hmm. he was always pushing me to be more proactive, like be, uh, you know, like a, like a, an element of ownership in what you do, you know? And that's one of the things he really cultivates around here is there's a lot of, it's not full autonomy. It's not like everybody gets to have a say in everything. It's, uh, I mean, he is, he is a definitive leader. He is strong leader, but, um, but he doesn't have to waste a lot of energy trying to either micromanage or think about everything that we're doing. Like he lets us do our job at a really high level. Um, which I think is smart on his part because he can, uh, he can save his energy, his mental energy for, for the big battles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me is it's, it, it's forced me out of a reserved, withdrawn, reactive mode and forced me to be a little bit more, uh, I guess, declarative or definitive on my own end of, of, Hey, here's what I see. And I'm going to take a, a stance. I'm going to take a, a choice. And, uh, and you know, it's like, he'll, he'll try to poke holes in it. So you have to, if you don't really believe in it, if you don't have a conviction about it, you're going to, you're going to have to go to the drawing board all the time. But, um, but if you do have conviction about it, he punches holes in it and then it survives and it looks good. Then, it's, it's a pretty, pretty strong, uh, robust sense of, of, yeah, we're, this is, we have confidence in what we're doing here. I relate to that so much, Travis, like that's something that my first boss, um, Rob Krasinski at Kane university taught me is like, speak with conviction, make sure that you're right before you, before you speak, like have all the holes plugged so that when I try to poke holes in them, there are, you know, there's no leak there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's hard for people. I think it was hard for me at the beginning of my career to have people not, I guess, criticize something that you might have an opinion on or that you might have presented or you might have worked on. And the more and more I get older, I realize like, that's not them being critical. That's them wanting it to be the best possible product that you can have. And that's like necessary at this point. Like I try, sometimes it's hard for people to understand that, but I try and do that now to the people that I have to work with. Like if they present something to me, I'm going to poke every hole in it that I possibly can. Not because I want to, you know, degrade their ego or knock them down. I just want it to be the best possible product that we can have. So now that's, that's really good to hear that you have that relationship with, with coach few. Yeah. It, it's something that I've learned over time is 
now that um, I'm doing a lot more in the space of consulting or leadership or, or uh, teaching the walking into a room that feels resistant is really easy. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes people who are setting up um, the event or setting something up, they will apologize to me that, Oh, the room kind of felt cold or it felt, you know, like there wasn't a lot of energy, like they weren't on board or whatever. And I'm like, you know what, that's typically people who have a lot of things that are coming at them, a lot of requests, a lot of demands, a lot of things to think about. They're not quick to jump on anything. Mm -hmm. It, It takes a while to get them to buy in, but because they vet it, because they're always vetting things, if they buy in, they're all in, mm-hmm. you know, like they're, they're more loyal than somebody who is not used to these ideas. And this is the first thing they've ever heard like this. And then they're like, Oh, this is the answer. This is it. This is great. Like that's, that's kind of almost like a false buy-in because mm-hmm. it hasn't been tested. You know, it hasn't, Oh, I've seen this before. Oh, I've heard this before. Well, now you got to show me why it's different. Do, do your relationships with Brett and uh, the pastor, I'm sorry, I don't know if you were, you mentioned yeah. his name, but are those relationships similar to Coach View? Is that why you value them? Because they try oh, to poke no. holes in what you do or how are they, how do they no, differ? No, 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 no. They're totally different. They're totally different. The, the reason, so Brett, with Brett Ledbetter and then uh, Russ is his name. Okay. Russ Davis is the pastor. They are so great at cultivating questions. Mm-hmm. And so they're, uh, you know, (laughs) you might feel like they actually never said anything to you. All they did was say, well, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, how is that really good? Like, why, why would I need somebody to do that and Mm -hmm. pay the money to do that? Or, you know, why would they be in a place of high leadership because of that? And like, it just really makes you have to think it's, it's kind of a mind trip. Yeah. Yeah. I have a funny story. Um, when I first got hired here, we were going to a trip in Italy. I had been hired for three months and one of our professors here came on our trip. His name was Dove. And I had maybe two or three conversations with him prior. And one time he was sitting down in the hotel lobby. I sat down next to him. We had a conversation he barely said anything. He asked questions and said, why do you think that? Like maybe three or four words he would say. Um, Next thing I know, I was revealing things about myself to him that I hadn't told anyone in my life. And I was like, Dove, what just happened? Like, how did, how did that, how did we get there? You know? And it's so interesting that you say that Brett and um, the pastor do that for you because when you come across people like that, they're just so impactful. And everyone in our program loved Dove for that because he was short to, you know, slow to talk, but didn't want to give too much of his opinion, wanted you to think about what was going on in your life. And that was really, really positive for people. Yeah, that's it, man. And I'm always trying to figure out how do I do that better? Cause I don't do it as well as I wish I did. Yeah. I know I would love to have that character trait for myself, but um, along those lines, what do you think, what character trait do you think has been the most important for your success about yourself? Like, what do you think is the most positive character trait that you have? 
Uh, that's hard to answer for yourself. I think, um, I know creativity is really important. I've mm-hmm. mentioned that before. Uh, I think just, um, I had to go through a process that took me six or seven years at least minimum, uh, in my position here to figure out that I didn't need to try to be somebody else. And, uh, a lot of times, and this was even before Instagram and all this was getting big. So nowadays, if you follow other strength coaches and they show things, man, you get super insecure, Mm -hmm. um, about what you're doing. (laughs) And, uh, but I was already kind of feeling like, Hey, you know, these other strength coaches, when I meet them on the court, they all look like they just came from, football practice and, um, or like a powerlifting meet and, and, you know, they, they carry these big voices. They're basically motivators and they're inspiring and they're, you know, um, they're high energy output people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that just, it worked to such a small, I mean, like there was just nothing that felt like I was really good at it about that. It just felt fake or, um, just not, not something I could sustain. And then, you know, just switching it to being relational and being more, um, giving the players more input and giving them more, um, just more of a conversation than like a yelling session. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, I just remember having this thought of, should I stay in this business? You know, is this, should I, should I keep trying to be a strength coach or should I try to do something else? And, I had to, had to understand, can I do, can I do what this job demands in a way that's authentic to me? Because if the answer is no, then I need to get out. But if Mm -hmm. the answer is yes, then I need to figure out a way to do it that feels authentic to me, that, that leverages my strengths. And what I noticed immediately was that my fatigue level, because at the end of the day, you are tired when you go home because you're emotionally, uh, you're giving a lot of energy, you're emotionally engaged. Um, for a guy like me, you're talking more than you normally would at home probably. And what I noticed is my energy levels were so much better because I I wasn't spending a lot of energy trying to do something that didn't feel like me, you know? And so I would say that that's the strength now is, um, if a recruit, when a recruit comes in to meet me, they often think I'm the academic coordinator because I don't have that. Yeah. Vibe. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, it's just like the ability to disarm expectation and <clears throat> to be able to kind of let them, let the athletes come in with a, with able to build their own impression from zero rather than coming in with already this pre preset, expectation. Um, yeah. For me, like you said, it was hard for you to answer that question about yourself. And as you were talking before you said the word, I thought authenticity sounds like what your character's trait is that makes you really successful. And yeah. like, okay. Leading up to this podcast, like I've listened to yours, um, a couple of those episodes and how soft-spoken you are and like very thoughtful I'm, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I wonder if Travis is like that strength coach that you see on like ESPN that's like headbutting, you know, kids on the sidelines with helmets. I'm like, there's just no way that he like flips the switch and he's that guy. 
So <laughs> I was curious to hear, it was good to hear you say that like authenticity is your thing, you know, like you're authentic to who you are. Um, and maybe the insecurity that you had earlier on in your career has been, you know, hopefully uh, completely erased a little bit, it sounds like, and just you're cruising in your lane right now. And, th- and that sounds like a good thing. Yeah. I, you know, I think we're kind of going through a phase uh, in our culture of almost like label phobia. Uh, I don't know if that's a real word, but <laughs> we you know, uh, yeah, like, like I don't want to tell people at the outset, I'm a strength coach because that picture that you described is what's first in the top in their head. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know that I want to describe myself as a Christian because of other interactions that people probably had with uh, conservative fundamentalist Christian experience, or I wouldn't want to say I'm a Republican because the first thing that pops in your head is Donald Trump, you know, or, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like the people have hijacked uh, the, the label or the, the description. And it's kind of like, you almost have to be neutral, everything. If you're going to, it's like the center, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not right, left, I'm center. Well, that used to be right or left, but now it's center because they're so extreme. You know? Right, right. No, I feel the same way. No, it's really interesting to hear you put it that way. Um, I want to pivot real quick. This is uh, the quick hitters portion of the uh, the podcast where we just like to hear some resources from you. Uh, so the first one we're going to do is, if there's three books that you would most likely recommend to someone to read, what would they be? Um, it's interesting because of course, whoever, whoever is going to be on the other end, that's going to dictate a little bit. But if I were just going to say that have been really impactful to me that have really shaped some of my uh, thinking, um, probably one of the first ones would be uh, it's called Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance that was written um, you know, 40 years ago and, uh, almost 50 years ago now. And it's a, it's a philosophy book, but it's written kind of as an allegory and, um, Robert Piercig. And one of the coolest things is just the struggle with the idea of what is quality. And that, you know, I think we talk all the time about, a uh, like this hunger to be better and mm-hmm. to constantly improve and, and the, kind of the infinite game of, of something that you don't do so that it will get to a finish line. And, uh, the idea of quality is you can't describe it by virtue of its definition. Like it, it literally is something you can see and, and, but you can't describe it because the moment you begin to describe it, you've actually changed its quality. And it's just this really deep pursuit of, uh, something that I relate to what I do in every area of my life that I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I improve the quality? It's, it's never, it's never done. It's this incomplete, always in process thing. Mm -hmm. Um, then the next book I would probably say, um, this is more of a recent read, but it's been really impactful to me to hear it almost confirm my experience, which is, uh, it's called range. Um, why, why generalists triumph in an age of specialists by, um, David Epstein. And it really speaks to the idea that the best fit as you go along your path and you're trying to figure out where you're going to end up having the most success and flourishing is you're going to try a bunch of things and you're going to find commonalities, but you're also going to learn skills and, and, 
things that are going to ultimately help you succeed with each of those attempts to figure it out. And, you know, if it means that you're trying different instruments and then you land on one instrument, or if it's like our field where, uh, you know, you're in athletics, but you can bring these different vantage points that nobody else has. Um, you know, we, a lot of times people think it's this straight line track of success. And I'm sure it is if you're going to be a neurosurgeon, but for most of us is it's like what I bring as a strength coach, what you bring as an ops guy, there's the, the, you bring a different perspective because of where you've been and what you've done. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, range really speaks to not just going a mile deep in an inch wide, but being more rounded and, and seeing that as a really positive thing. Um, and then probably like anything by Anthony DeMello. So awareness or the way to love. Um, if you're not familiar with him, he's a, um, a Jesuit priest who's brought up and who was uh, raised in India. And so he has a lot of different perspectives than just somebody who maybe came from the West mm-hmm. and just, just a lot of beautiful stuff around how to understand happiness and um, detaching from things that we think lead to happiness, but actually just create unhappiness. And uh, I don't know, I think that's a lot of what we struggle with a lot in our insecurities or in our unhappiness is that we have it tied to our definitions of success or tied to someone else in an unhealthy way. And so those are really, I think, uh, I would think reading any of those would be beneficial on some level, just as a human being. I'm I'm pumped about that because I've never re- I've never read any of those so definitely gonna look into uh, buying a couple of those for myself. Um, we're gonna skip over the Twitter and Instagram because uh, you said that you don't really look into that too much. With I might be envious of a little bit that you're not into the the Twitter and Instagram because similar to what you just said about uh, Anthony DeMello, maybe some of that is tied to our happiness and we could do a little better of getting rid of some of that. But uh, most meaningful speech or lecture that you've ever heard and why? Um, that's good. I, I mean, it's interesting because if you, if the, the DeMello stuff is actually, he was giving these retreats, like these eight hour retreats mm-hmm. to other Jesuits. And so what's in the book is not because he wrote that. It's because someone transcribed it from these speeches. Okay. So I, I would say, I would say that, um, I mean, like you, I'm, I'm a big podcast guy and I, and, uh, I really like listening to, um, you know, the Michael Gervais and the Tim Ferriss is really popular guys, but I also really like, um, hearing from people like us who are just trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. And so like there was a, uh, one called unsupervised thinking, which I thought was a really crafty, um, way of, uh, titling a podcast by a bunch of neuroscience PhD students. Mm -hmm. So they would, they would just review papers and give their thoughts, but just the idea that, Hey, there's no, there's no governing body regulating what we're saying here. <laughs> this is what we actually exactly think. the freedom or the creativity to speak really. Yeah. So it's such a, and that's really why Twitter and Instagram, I really don't, I, I have them and I, I certainly look at them, but 
as far as influencing, (laughs) there's no positive influence from those for me. You might be right. I think you might be right. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's good. Anthony DeMello definitely has to uh, get on the top of my list of people to look into because I've never heard of him. So I'm definitely interested in looking into that a little bit further, but well, Brett, Brett would be very, uh, he would, he would get behind that idea. Oh, would he? Yeah. <laughs> I'm he's sure a big DeMello guy. Yeah. I'm sure he'll listen to this, uh, and probably be excited that we're talking about him then. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for those. I'll definitely look into them and I'm sure the people listening will uh, take a peek as well. Just pivoting back into maybe uh, yourself and your profession, I was always curious, like, what do you think is the most important thing that a strength coach can provide to a team? In my perspective, I think the, the belief that, that you are able to help them develop in a way that complements um, the way they're being pushed and pursued with the, the other coaches and I mean, maybe other teachers too, but it, it takes so many different personalities and so many, like you can't, when you have a successful story, uh, a kid who really thrives and, and um, does well, if it's not always like this instant, instant, uh, success. It's not, you know, that year one didn't look anything like this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we really, we love this idea of water the bamboo, which is, you know, that you plant bamboo and it takes years to see it emerge from the soil and then it grows 90 feet in 60 days. But what you, you really couldn't understand what was, what was happening underneath this root system that was being developed to support the growth. It just wasn't, you know, you don't know, who's going to say something that's going to really resonate and who's going to give them the safe place that they need. Cause you know, you're getting pushed and you're getting, you have high. So on the back end, a lot of kids come in and they have extremely high expectations placed upon uh, by family, friends, people back home that maybe they're going to be the ones to, to represent their neighborhood or their, their area or their family. So they're getting that pressure and then they come here and it's the pressure from a coach to meet the expectation of what they, when they recruited them, what they thought they could be. And then on the other end, maybe they've got the NBA or they've got overseas that that has to happen. And somehow they've got to get this um, safe place where they can be real but they can also be bounced back to the pressure back to the teacher coach, whoever it is, who's going to continue to have that high expectation and push. So it's kind of like, where can I let my guard down, but then also get my energy up to go back to, uh, you know, in some cases the firing squad, but uh, you know, the, like, I can't, I can't face this, uh, high intensity every day on my own. Like I've got to have some place where I can um, kind of go back to the drawing board or go back to um, the lab or go back to some place where I can say, Hey, I was, I was exposed. I was exposed over here. I didn't measure up. I failed. I'm going to come back here I'm gonna, and I want to go to work. 
but part of the going to work is not just physical. It's also the inner work of like, Oh man, I'm just dragging right now. Like, I don't know if I want to be here right now. Like I don't want, you know, and if this isn't a safe place to, to be that, which most places in the weight room probably aren't, that's, uh, it's just going to perpetuate, you know, it's like, um, the vicious cycle is just going to keep spinning downward. It's not going to turn around and come back up. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the, the, the Navy seal approach of we're going to take anyone who survives this week and move them on. And now you're a seal. Uh, it just doesn't, it just, you're going to end up with such a small percentage of kids succeeding and those who do succeed are probably going to be great success stories, but are you, are, are we going to, can we survive on those and be successful on those percentages? And I, I just don't think so. Hmm. Wow. There's so much there for me to respond to. Um, how do you, how do you establish that, that safe space or that trust that this is a place where you can help them grow? Like what's your, what's your key? Like, are you taking these guys out to lunch? Are you, you know, talking offline about what's going on in their life, regardless of basketball, what's your secret to getting them to believe in you that you can help them get to where they want to go? I'm not a big take guys out to lunch guy, honestly. Um, that's just my personality. Um, and maybe even my budget. I don't know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, no, the, the thing, you know, here it's a village. So there are a lot of people within our staff who do, uh, reach out and, grab coffee and that kind of stuff with the guys. Uh, for me, I think it starts just with what we were talking about earlier. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be low key. The energy when you come in here is low key. It's not, it's not hype. And so you don't have to put on a face when you come in here, you can just, you know, you got to do your work, but you can also be more transparent. You can also be more authentic. So my, my being authentic gives you permission to be more authentic. And if that's going to happen, the conversation we're going to have is probably going to be more authentic. And, and, you know, we talk all the time about load management these days about from a physiological internal load standpoint, what is their body breaking down or is it moving towards higher performance? Um, we're dealing with this a lot too. So, you know, uh, there's a guy named John Kiley, uh, in the UK, uh, Irishman who, uh, he's, he's, a, he's also a strength coach, but he's a researcher and he's written some wonderful papers on this idea of, um, when we are experiencing stress on our body that it's, you know, if you had a tank, obviously multiple days in a row of high intensity practice or, um, games is going to keep adding to that. And so the level is going to continue to rise. What we don't really account for. So we think, Oh, if we're taking a day off or we're going lighter then that level should automatically go down. What we don't really account for is that psycho-emotional stress is thrown into that bucket that it's, it's not the, the organism doesn't distinguish between physiological load and psychological psycho-emotional load. So if things aren't going well, in other areas of their life or they're not perceiving it well that you think the level's only up to here, you know, three out of 10 and really it's an eight out of 10 
because there's some other stuff going down that just nobody knows about. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we have all these ways in which we try to quantify where that load is physically and how we manage it. But there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of uh, systems in place to do the psycho-emotional space. And so, you know, when somebody walks in, there has to be someone who can account for where are we at with that part? You know, um, this is not who you were yesterday or last week. Something has changed. And I know from a physical standpoint, there's these, these, these factors, but what's different? You know, why are you way better this week or why are you struggling this week? And so I think the way that, that Brett has framed it that I think is really powerful is you can, you can, um, you can build equity in a relationship by helping them with things physically that you can cash in to get them to open up maybe more psycho emotionally. Mm -hmm. But then also the same thing can happen where you could be there for somebody who hasn't been able to do anything physically. Maybe they're injured or uh, going through some stuff and you're able to just sit down and listen to them. And then maybe when they get back in the weight room, maybe they're willing to do more for you on the physical side because of, of equity that you've built over here. And so it's kind of like, you're just always looking to build equity that you can, that you're, that then you ask them to give you more somewhere else. And they're willing to do that because you've built that. That just hearing what you said about um, like the mental side of it triggered me to, to kind of touch upon this. I I looked up a little bit of uh, Gonzaga and yourself, obviously prior to coming on here and I saw something, I hope I pronounce this right. Cura personalis, I believe it's called. Um, Mm -hmm. It says care for the whole person. And it's like the pillars that you guys have at Gonzaga. It says uh, nutrition, mental health, physical health, and then performance and sleep. Um, Can you just touch upon how that's integrated into your coaching and into the culture at Gonzaga? Yeah, I mean, the school itself is really built around that. That's what I loved about it um, is that I I was encouraged to grow as a whole person and that my spiritual my mental, my physical, they were all tied together. So if one was struggling, the others were going to be affected. Um, so you're encouraged to grow in all of them. And, um, and that just, that feels really consistent within our program. Um, and I think we all appreciate that. Like that's not something that we is, uh, downplayed, you know, it's actually something that's built into, I mean, even our recruiting to some degree that we in this world, in this day and age, where do you want to send your kid? Do you want to send them to a place that's a factory, um, you know, or a place that is going to impact their ability to, you know, be a a better human being and a better someday father. And so I I would just say there's not one way. It's really just tied into everything that we do. Mm -hmm. And then I know that you do, Uh, what's called PGMs. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just wanted to know like how you think that that fits into that pillars, um, those four pillars. And maybe if you can just share what a PGM is for everyone who's listening. Yeah. Uh, So PGM is short for personal growth Monday. And during the season we do um, the team and I meet, there's no coaches allowed uh, in a, in a just really quick hitter to kind of kick the week off before they go to their first practice of the week. And we just have discussions around maybe it's accountability, 
Um, maybe it's around, um, you know, what makes a teammate want to run through the wall for you, or maybe it's just like a uh, conversation on um, what matters to you, you know, but the, the team drives the curriculum by saying, this is what we think is going to make the most impact for us as a team. Um, this is not coming from the coach. This is not, uh, you know, parroting anything. This is like what we actually think. And uh, so that, that fits into the model just because I think the more that you feel like you have control over your own development, the, the more optimistic and enthusiastic you feel about it. But if you feel like you're kind of just a piece of clay, just somebody else is doing all the controlling and you're just having to be compliant, then it's just not the same experience. So it's framed that that like that's an investment into the kid or the player. Mm-hmm. Like a PGM yeah. is for the players and that's, no coaches in there. No, and that you know what that says so much about Coach View that he trusts uh, each one of us in what we do in our responsibilities and gives us uh, a leash that allows us to cultivate things that are unique. I mean, we've had we've always had to think outside the box as a program to be successful, mm-hmm. and this is another example that you just this is not modeled after anything that anyone else is doing. This is more just like, Hey, this makes sense. This is a need we have, and this is going to be your responsibility and go for it. So it's every Monday. How, how long are they? Are they five minutes? Uh, It's, it's 15. We, we tried to do five and it was just too short. Okay. Yeah. And are you, is it all, speaking are the are you dominating the conversation is it reflection from both sides are there visuals like what's it look like take me inside one uh yeah so i mean usually the um you know this last week we we uh showed a video clip of uh draymond green having a conversation on his tnt uh show or he you know he's up there with the other guys and and he's giving his his thoughts on marcus smart throwing stuff around in the weight room after the Celtics go down two zero and just that there's a lot of arguing and fighting that seems to be going on in the Celtics locker room, which, you know, Brad Stevens does a great job with his team, but the heat were obviously more connected and playing at a higher level. Um, so we just had a conversation. What do you, what do you guys think about what Draymond said? Do, mm-hmm. do winning teams argue more? So that just became a conversation and we were able to bring it back to accountability and talk about different forms uh, in which we can have accountability, which works best. And, you know, what do we think? So, you know, that's an example. Um, yeah. 15 minutes. A good session is a session where I speak 25% or less. Um, probably if I'm talking more than 50%, it's probably not a very good session. When you first introduced PGM, how hard was it to get the players to do 75% of the talking? Was it difficult? Cause yes. it was new. It was crazy difficult. It was, it, it was the guys in the room were not as outgoing. They weren't, or they weren't as, uh, you know, maybe, uh, extroverted. And then it was new and I wasn't very good at it either. So mm-hmm. but tough combination. Yeah. But they stuck it out. They stuck with me and they, and they, they really seem to, to uh, think it's a, a great thing. And now person. it's culture. Now it's culture. And now, and now it's, yeah, yeah, this is three years. And so anybody who's been here in the last three years, it's all they've ever known. It's like kids and cell phones these days. Right, 
Right. No, that's cool. I love that. I love the PGM model. Um, we try to do a little bit of it here. Um, maybe looking to expand on a little bit more, but I've always been interested when I first heard you guys were doing that, that it was something that it was an investment in the players, you know, regardless mm-hmm. of their on-court performance, we were going to invest in, you know, one through 15 on our team in that moment. So I've referenced it a couple times now, uh, your podcast. So let's just talk about it. It's called ride the gray gray with an E mm-hmm. uh, you're working on that with Ali Kirshner, uh, who is a strength and conditioning coach at Stanford university. Uh, I encourage anyone who's listening to this podcast to subscribe to that one. Uh, Ride the Gray, again, is the name of it. I just wanted to figure out, like, why did you start that podcast with Ali? And maybe how does that align with your belief as a person and a strength and conditioning coach? Uh, Yeah, we, uh, during COVID, there was four of us strength coaches who just really aligned with our thinking. And we would, we would talk every couple of weeks or so. as a group and then kind of just naturally uh, Allie and I kind of would touch base a little bit more often and we would meet eventually like once a week to talk about a different paper or a different uh, concept that we were really interested in. And I threw it out, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe we could just record some of these conversations cause they're so good. I'm getting so much out of them anyway. And, um, and she was like, you know, I've really been wanting to do a podcast for a while. And, and she just absolutely took it over and did, I mean, 98.8% of the work <laughs> to make, to make this thing happen. You're and, just a uh, talent then, huh? <laughs> I know I'm just, I'm just there to, uh, to balance out how good she is. And, uh, but she, so Allie is, uh, she's at Stanford. She was at Kansas prior to that. Um, and she is, uh, her undergraduate work was evolutionary biology. So she already like, that's one of the things that really attracted me was that her perspective was not going to be uh, what the typical company line is on strength and conditioning. It's going to be, I had heard her on a podcast when I first reached out to her uh, in which she was talking about lateral thinking. So she's always been passionate about pulling from other domains. And that's kind of what Epstein's book range is about. Mm-hmm. So I, I liked it and we, the whole goal really is just to expose different ideas that exist within other domains and ways of thinking. So I would say it's, it's really a podcast about thinking and about how to stretch your thinking by looking at other models of thinking. Yeah. And so um, some of those for us, because we're in strength and conditioning are close to motor development, um, which is a really fascinating field that borrows a lot from psychology. So there's already some natural lateral movements there. And then to pull that into, you know, for us, the psycho-emotional leading into the physical improvements. I mean, there's just, there's just so many levels where it's like a mosaic, you know? And so, you know, it's a combination of, of people being interviewed who are really interesting uh, thinkers who are a little bit outside the box and who are um, in their own domain maybe a little bit uh, of an anomaly and just kind of see how they think and then how they think about the con- the concepts that we've been sharing. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a work in progress because we're only a couple episodes into it and we're learning just like you, we're learning so much every time we do one. Um, yep. But I think uh, the feedback we've gotten is that the content is it's really thought provoking. So 
Yeah, yeah for sure. It. To hear you say it's a podcast about thinking is exactly what my thoughts were when I listened to episodes one and two. Um, it was constantly making me think. I've always been fascinated myself, similar to what you guys sound like you are, about different domains. Um, I've had a, a lot of basketball-related guests on this podcast so far, but I'm hoping to branch out into into other domains because I feel like that's where the creativity comes in, just wrapping it back up to like what you said in the beginning, how important creativity is for development and for high performance and all that stuff. Just learning what, you know, maybe a softball coach does or a soccer coach um, and just even outside of the sports world, what those domains are doing in in terms of leadership or um, personnel development. So I would definitely encourage anyone listening to, to head over to your podcast for sure. You want to give it a plug? What, what platforms is it available on? I, Apple, Spotify, what is it? Uh, definitely Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, I'm not really sure, but you, I know you can follow it on Instagram and Twitter at Ride the Gray, like you said, gray with an E, um, and should be pretty easy to find there. What's the tagline that Allie came up with? I love it. She says it at the end. It's uh, find a way to ride the gray. Is that what it yeah. is? Yep. Yep. That's a good one. It's a great one. Yeah, for did sure. Get, did she get the credit for that one too? Yes. <laughs> all, all the way. All the way. Oh, man. Well, that's all I really have for you, Travis. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. I can't wait to listen back to this myself to uh, fully digest all the great things that you were saying. So. I really appreciate your time and uh, I look forward to uh, connecting down the line. Yeah. Thanks for reaching out, Chris. I, I enjoyed our conversation back in St. Louis uh, a couple years ago and it's good to connect again. So uh, let's, let's make this more of a regular thing. For sure. We'll do man.